a part of your life. And we want to encourage you to uh, share the stream, if you would, and encourage some other people. Um, that would be wonderful. You can do more an effective work of evangelizing and reaching people with your finger these days than you can ever do with your voice. Just share the stream. Share the stream. Tag your friends. Tag your mother. You know she needs it. Tag your sister. She needs it too. Tag your brother, right? Tag all those crazy people in your life and say, this is what you need. You need to pay attention. Jesus is talking here, so you need to make this happen. Um, so we're doing a series. Everybody say forward. forward. Not going back. Going forward. So one of the aspects of this kingdom is now forward. The past becomes irrelevant to us. One thing I do, I press on towards the mark. I forget those things that are behind. You can't change the past. You can only change the future. And your decisions in the now actually determine. Your, your todays say it with me. My todays determine my tomorrows. Yeah? Your choices are what shape your life more than your skills. Your skills don't shape your life. Your choices shape your life more than your skills. You can have all the skills in the world, but if you don't make the active choices to use them, nothing really happens. And so we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to talk about getting closer to the Lord this morning. Some of you, maybe you felt distant over the last year. Maybe some of you have been just off living la vida loca and you don't even know what's happened in your world. Well, today's your day. Bible says this, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I have people tell me over the years, they're like, you Christians are all brainwashed. You're brainwashed. I'm like, everybody's brainwashed. I'm just choosing who's washing my brain. That's all, right? I go by God's vision and not the television, you know? It's like, that's the idea. We're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. This world is always, and this world is cosmos. So scripture talks a lot about this subject, and we're in the world, but we're not of it. And this idea of world is a Greek word called cosmos, and it means system of thinking. You're in a system of thinking, but you're not part of a system of thinking. And so when God tells us to not be conformed to a system of thinking, but be transformed, we're called to rise above it, we're called to move away from it and be formed in an entirely different way. The things that shape our, that shape our lives as Christians is we have the worldly culture or the way of thinking of the world. We have the way of thinking of the church. And just because the church thinks a certain way, that does not necessarily mean that that's God's way. Can I get a witness? So there's, there's worldly culture, there's church culture, and there's kingdom culture. And which one do you want to be a part of? A kingdom culture. It's about the king's dominion, the king's rule and reign. Listen, anytime Jesus is in charge, it's a good day. Anytime the Lord has something to say, it's, a, it's time to listen. There's nobody like Jesus. You want him leading you. You don't want to be led by you. You don't want to be led by culture. You don't want to be led so much even by institutional, denominational thinking. You want to be led by, his king, by the kingdom rule. This is what we are at Elevate. We're a kingdom culture church. We're not, we're not trying to bring forth some denominational viewpoint or some relative viewpoint that the church is on. We're trying to bring forth what our Father wants. What does Jesus want on earth as it is? One of the keys to being, to being transformed is a renewed mind, which means you have to change the way that you think. We cannot think in terms of the culture. The culture, so just give you a couple examples. The culture thinks by deficiency. There's never enough. We're running out of resources. It's all going down. Well, who told you that? Who told you that? Did Jesus tell you that? No. 
This world isn't running out. First of all, the world isn't running out of resources. Your father's all sufficient. That's a whole other story. But you cannot think from a realm of insufficiency. If your mind is going to be transformed, you have to think from, from sufficiency. One of the names of the Lord is El Shaddai, and it means the sufficient one. The world may have plenty of lack. The world may be confused and not know what to do, but Jesus is never confused. Jesus always knows what to do. He's got a word in season. He's got an answer for every problem. If he's missing something, he makes it. Do you know that? It's a, Greek, it's a Hebrew word called bara, and it means something from nothing. It's something only God has the ability to do. He can make something from nothing. He can take the nothing life and turn it into something. Say, my life's nothing. Well, good news. Hallelujah. You say, I don't have anything. Good news. Good news. He takes nothing and turns it into something. We have to think differently. We cannot think as the world. We are sons and daughters of a king. We do not come from insufficiency. We have access to sufficiency. And until you change the filter and the mindset that you live by, nothing's changing. You will be bound and kept a prisoner of your thoughts. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you believe and perceive within your heart, so you are. As you believe and perceive with it around you, so you are. I'm a son and I'm a son of the highest. I know what I am. That's the filter that runs my life. No one has the right to determine my value and worth except Jesus. Doesn't matter what people think of me. And you know what? Ready? It doesn't even matter what I think of myself. My opinions of myself are irrelevant. The only one who has the right to define my value and worth is Jesus. Period. I will, not lower my standard, I will not lower myself beneath the standard of value and worth that the Lord has established over me. I'm a son of the highest, period. I will not allow another to lower me beneath the standard of value and worth that the Lord has established over me. I guess I told you guys, I've sat with pastors like, well, we're all just sinners by saved by grace. We're all just friends of God. I'm like, not me. I'm like, eating breakfast, not me. I'm like, I'm a son of the highest. That's what I am. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I heard about that. That was long ago. I'm a son. I'm apportioned and appointed on day one. I'm adopted as a child of God and given a rightful inheritance on day one. So long as you see yourself anything less than that, you will be that. I'm a son. I didn't send in a resume to get it. He gave it to me. You say, well, who do you think you are? It's not who do I think I am. It's who do I think he is. It's not who I think I am. Who do I know he is? And who am I to him? I'm adopted. I'm a son, in the, I'm a son of the highest. I have full authority. Seated in heavenly places. And I will not lower myself. And I will not allow another to lower me. And I will not allow circumstances to lower me. And until you shift that mindset, you will live beneath. I got one. Until you shift that mindset, you will live beneath. What does the Bible promise? Above only and not beneath. Right. The Bible speaks a promise over you that you are to be above only and not beneath. And until you shift the manner in which you think, you will remain beneath. Soon, as long as you think that your, your, your bank account determines your identity, you will live beneath. As long as you think your choices determine your identity, you will live beneath. As long as you think your circumstances determine your identity, your family, your background, your people's opinions, your job status, as long as you draw identity from that, you will live beneath. You're a son and a daughter, right? The bread is for the who? Who's the bread for? Right. To, they who gave, who gave their, who, to those who, who believe in Christ, they alone are given the rights to be called what? The children or the sons and daughters of God. 
Only those in Christ are given the title as son and daughter. This is, I'm, not, I'm not even, I'm on a kick over here on sons and daughters. So only those who are in Christ are given the ability to be called sons and daughters. The world does not have that right. And until you, as long as you see yourself as common, you will live common. Until you see yourself as exceptional, then and only then will things shift. I'm a son, and what is the purpose of my sonship? To lord over people? That's not the purpose of the son. The purpose of the son is to serve. You're a daughter. Does that mean you rule over people? No, the purpose of the daughter is to serve. Your authoritative position has been given to you to serve others, not to elevate you. Your status is elevated in heaven, and we manifest that in the earth. The world does not have the ability to be called a son and a daughter. Only those who are in Christ are given the right, a legal right, that you must enforce and you must declare. It will not be over you by default. You have to step into it. You have to take off the old and put on the new. It's the only way this stuff works, Christian. It's why the church lies neutered, because we don't understand the access points of this kingdom. Say it with me. There's a difference between the person of Jesus and the principles of Jesus. Many of you have experienced the person of Jesus, but you know nothing of his principles. You know nothing of his ways. Say this, there's a difference between the love of Jesus and the law of Jesus. Now this word law means ways. It's what the word Torah means in Hebrew. It means the ways. So it's the ways of God. Christians experience the love of God, but yet their lives remain untransformed. Why? Because they know nothing of his principles, and they know nothing of his ways. And so we just sit here, you know, smelling daisies and experiencing the garden of God's love. Happy day. I love it. But that's not my end point. That's my starting point. That's my default position. When all else fails, I come to the love of God, and I always have acceptance and love in his thing. My point is to move forward. God's ways are for you to move forward. This is why Christians cannot manifest kingdom because they're ignorant of the principles of this kingdom. Christians cannot manifest kingdom because they're ignorant of the ways of God. I didn't say you were stupid. I just said you don't know them. And the church fails utterly. It's not the people. It's not the people. It's the teaching of the church. It's the anemic teaching of the church. We give sugar rushes and we call it kingdom. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's nonsense. It's nonsense. You have to rise to the level of your birth. No one will make you rise except you. You have to be willing to rise to the status that God has defined over you as a daughter and you accept no substitutes. Somebody's going to lose her job, not you. Not you. Oh, no, no, no. Come on. The bread is for the children. Somebody's going to get that contract. And you know who God wants to give it to? The bread is for the who? Somebody's going to get that promotion. Somebody's going to get healed. Somebody's going to get restored. The bread is for the children. He says this to a woman that's coming to him as a Syrophoenician. She's about as black of an unbeliever as you could be. She's on the dark side, right? She's Darth Vader kind of unbeliever. You know, she grab you by, you know, she's like really out there with the way that she lives. She's, the Bible emphasizes it, Syrophoenician. That doesn't mean anything to us in the modern culture, but in the ancient world, that meant a lot. She was a Syrian Phoenician. Two of the most hated and vicious and wicked kingdoms in the world were the Syrian Phoenicians. And this woman is a Syrophoenician. 
And she comes to Jesus and asks him for something. And what's his response? I owe you nothing. I owe you nothing. He said, you don't give what is holy to dogs. She said, yes, master, but even dogs eat from the crumbs that, ain't, that fall from the table. And Jesus said, oh, she knows who I am. She knows what I am. She knows, I, she knows I'm a king. She knows I'm a master. She knows I'm generous, and she knows I'm kind. You have what you ask. Because she perceived him for who he was. Right? Roman centurion, the same thing. He perceived him for who he was. I'm under authority just like you. You say it, it happens. All you got to do is say the word. I'm not worthy for you to come. Jesus would have came anywhere. Didn't matter about his value and worth. He doesn't determine his value and worth. Jesus did. Jesus said, I'll go. So it wasn't an issue of worth. Jesus already put value on him, but he pulled back from the value. Nonetheless, Jesus gave him what he asked for. You have to see yourself for who you are. You have to know who you are. You have to learn his principles, Christian. Not just his love. You have to learn his principles, not just his person. This is what manifests the kingdom. You're saved. You have access to his person. You're saved. You have access to his love. But you must operate in his principles. And you must operate according to his laws and things change. This is when things change. Oh, God, don't you love me? Can't you see me? Oh, God, don't you care? Oh, God, don't he loves you? The love is, the, listen, love's not in question. Love's not in question. Love is not in question. Jesus does not say this. I'm going to rock some of you guys today. Jesus is not moved, is not moved. by human empathy. <gasps> Jesus is not moved by human empathy. He is moved by faith. He is moved by faith. Human empathy does not move the Lord. Faith is the currency of heaven. Not empathy, not human need, faith. When he saw faith, he moved. Read it. Keys to being transformed. You've got to shift the way that you think. The patterns, the filters, the habits, the actions that they create. Your thoughts create, ha create habits. Your thoughts create filters. If you don't view God as being good, no matter the circumstances, it's going to create a habit and a, and, a, and, a, and a pattern in your life. If you don't view yourself as worthy, it's going to create a habit and a pattern in your life. You're going to have a hard time. You have to shift the way that you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to talk about uh, coming back to the Lord. We're going to talk about getting closer to the Lord. Anybody want to get closer to Jesus this year? Yeah? Come on, man. Let's go. Right? Proverbs 13, 13, 15 says, Good understanding gains favor, but the way of unrighteousness is hard. Everybody say it with me. The way of unrighteousness is hard. Righteousness is what is right to God. Unrighteousness is what is right to you. If it's contradictory to what is right to God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. One. I got one, right? We're a participation church, if you can't tell that already, right? The way, your ways oftentimes produce hardship. In particular, because your ways are incongruent with his ways. By a man's choices, he creates calamity. Yet his heart rages against the Lord. By his own actions, he blows his life up. And then he points his finger and said, you did this. Right? The way of unrighteousness is hard. It's hard. The further you live from Jesus, the harder life is. Let's just say that together. The further I live <laughs> from Jesus, the harder life is. 
The roads aren't paved on that side of town, guys, right? It's a little shot out. There's not a, lot, a whole lot of economic development on that side of town. Jesus' side of town, there's a lot of things going on, right? The roads are paved. Not only paved, they got gold on them, right? There's a lot of economic development going on in Jesus' world. There's not a whole lot going on in your world, but there is in his. And that's the world you want to be participating in. The closer you commune with Jesus, the more harmony there is. It's not even about relating to him in religious constructs. It's about communing with him, knowing him, understanding him, in him, he and you, you and him. It's the communalness. It's the connection to the Holy Spirit. Acts 17, 28 says, In him we live, move, and have our being. In him. You were created to live in him. When we live outside of him, there's not really a whole lot of life. In him you live, move, and have your being. So we're going to talk about this. Isaiah 53 said, All we like sheep have gone astray. And that's about people come, Jesus paying the price for our wandering. But the issue, the issue here is that we have a tendency to wander. Can I get a witness? Anybody, you wander. And you ask yourself, how did I get here? Right? You end up in a place that you didn't intend to get and you just wander. One thing about sheep, this is actually a true story. Sheep have been known to, wo- to wander into wolves' dens. A bunch of wolves sitting around the fire. Sheep comes in. Hey, guys, what's going on? Not much, Jim. Come on over here. We got a, you know, we're just thinking about dinner. Glad you showed up. We were going to order out. We were going to go get takeout, but, you know, we've already got a delivery here right now. Wolves, sheep wander. We're prone to wandering. And we wander in places, and we don't even know where we are. We end up in places, and we don't even know where we are. There's a story in the scripture about the prodigal son. It's an important story. A lot of you are familiar with it. There are three characters in the story. All should be highlighted, but we're going to focus on one. There's the wasteful son, which is the word prodigal. Prodigal just means wasteful. The one who had what he had, and he wasted it. Then you have the dutiful son, the rule keeper, who did everything right, but everything was a construct, right? Everything was done in a constructed, outward manner. The, The heart relationship wasn't there with the father. And then you have the father. The dutiful older son did everything right, but he never came into the understanding that everything was his. The dutiful son settled for measure when he was given fullness. And the father said to him, everything I have is yours. Why do you settle for measure? Why do you stand on the outside thinking that only externals please me? External actions create conformity, but they do not create transformation. Transformation is inside out. You have to deal with your junk. You have to let the Holy Spirit begin to move in you. And you have to begin to deal with your junk. You have to begin to deal with all of the corruption within your heart, all of the lies that you believe, the thought patterns that you have, the actions that you take, the compulsions that you have, anything that keeps you from becoming who you are. you got to deal with it. But you can't do it through religious action. Religious action creates, say with me, religious action creates conformity, but it will not create transformation. Doing all the right things is good. Discipline's good. Discipline is the default mode of this kingdom. Say this with me. Discipline is the lowest level of discipleship. The church thinks that discipline is the highest level of discipleship. They couldn't be more wrong. Discipline is the default mode. When everything else fails, you reset back to discipline. Discipleship is relational. It's relational. It's not duty. When I don't know anything else, I'm going to do my duty. 
When I don't know anything else, I'm going to click my heels, stand up, salute, and do what I'm supposed to do. That's default. That's always there, but I don't operate from that level. I operate from a higher level of relationship. This is what was going on with, this, with, the, with the older son, is he was operating purely on discipline. He had no relationship with the father. There was no intimacy with the father. Had he had relationship, he would have known that you're in measure, bro, and I've called you to fullness. It's all yours. But you don't even know that it's all yours, let alone know how to access what belongs to you. And that's the father in this role. The father is always trying to bring the sons into destiny. The father in this story is trying to bring both sons into the fullness of their inheritance and into destiny. And one sees that everything is his and goes off and blows it. The other doesn't know that everything is his and tries to live an outwardly pleasing life. Say this, if I don't sense the Lord's closeness, guess who moved? <laughs> Luke 15, Jesus told a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, give me my share of the estate now. Huh? Give me what is mine, and oh, by the way, I'm in a hurry. Let's go. Instead of waiting till you die, so the father divided his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and left home. And he went to live in a distant land. He got as far away from his father as he could. Interesting. There he squandered the gifts that he'd been given and wasted his life and money on wild parties. Oons, 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 and reckless living. About that time, all of his money ran out. A severe famine hit the land and he began to starve because there was, he, he was now left with nothing. The only job he could find was feeding swine on a farm. He became so desperate and hungry that even the pig slop that, he was, that they were eating on looked good to him, but no one would give him anything for his hunger. When he finally came to his senses, the Bible says he came to himself. The Bible says this, so let's just say it together. He came to himself. Right. Just say this. Things will change when I come to myself. That's right. This is crazy. At my father's house, even the lowest paid workers eat well. While I'm far away dying of hunger, I will return and go home to my father, and I will say, Father, I've sinned against he heaven and you. I'm not worthy to be part of your family or to be called your son. Please take me in as one of your servants who works for you. And with that attitude, he headed back home to his father. But while he was still a long distance off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love, filled with compassion, he ran to his son. Everybody say it. The father ran. That's right. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son says, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, go bring me the best. Go and bring the best. Say it with me. The father, the father brought the best. That's right. He said, bring me the finest robe and put it on him. Put the signet ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Signet ring is restored inheritance. That's what the signet ring meant. That's how you spent your inheritance, is you would pay for something with a signet ring. He had a restored inheritance. Bring me the finest robe and put it on him. Give my signet ring. Roast the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate with eating and drinking. For this child of mine was distant and dead and now is back alive. He was lost, but now he's found. So let the party begin. <laughs> One part of the story I want to emphasize that's always there, that's important. We're talking about identity. The Lord took the repentance, but he would not allow the son to lower his identity. He allowed him to repent. Repentance is the key to your freedom. Repentance is the key to your realignment. Rep say it with me. Repentance, repentance is not a penalty, not a penalty 
It's a gift, right? You're not penalized for, report, for repenting. Re- uh, repentance means get back on track. I repent. It means to return to Shuva. It means metanoia, to change the way that you think. Lord, I've taken my life unto myself. I repent. I give it back to you. That's what repentance means. I've done it my way, Lord. I've taken my life, my decisions, all of these things I've taken as my own. I give it back to you. I've held guilt and shame. I've allowed myself to be a prisoner of an identity that is not mine, and I've taken this identity as my own. I give it back to you. That's repentance. The Lord would accept the repentance, but he would not allow the son to lower his identity. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Conversation ended right there. We're not even talking about that. That conversation is going no further. The Lord will not allow you to lower yourself. He will not. The problem with this boy was he was self-centered. He had a self-centered filter. Give me what is mine and do it now. Right now. My way. Burger King style. Have it my way and have it now. He lacked character and he lost everything on wasteful choices. He understood life only through the lens of himself. Me, 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 all about me, what's in it for me. This is how we are. This perspective, it will always leave us in a wasteful position, will always leave us separated. You're not not made for you. First of all, you're made for the Lord. You are made for him, unto him, by him, to him, through him, are all things. Everything consists from him. Right? You're not made for yourself. So everything in life is to be in relationship with him. Then the second thing is, you're supposed to benefit other people around you. That relationship with the Lord is to bring life to people around you. That's his intention. And so the natural, obvious, narcissistic question comes, well, then what about me? What about glorious me? The Bible says, seek first the what? And what is what? Right to the Lord, and everything will be added. The Lord says, if you do it, I'm going to take care of you. I got you. I'm going to handle you. I'll make you Gucci. You're going to be Gucci. Don't worry. You just seek first the kingdom and what is right to me, and everything will be given. He had a filter that, that basically lived a life on self-consumption. This is where the modern church is. This is where the American church is. This is why we cannot produce power. There's a lot of reasons why we can't produce power, but one of them is narcissistic teaching. I tell this church all the time, they, there's, they, we do these lessons that say, Jesus is all about your dreams. No, he's not. No, he is not. He's all about his dream in you, not your dream. It's not your dream at the expense of him, in him. Delight yourself in him, and he will sire and give you the desires. He will give birth to dreams and visions in that relationship, and those he will grant. He's not all about your dream. This teaching that talks about God's about your best life now. No, he's not. We teach these messages that it's all about safety and security. Where is that in the gospel? It doesn't exist. It does safety and security doesn't exist, Christian. Be faithful unto death. That does exist. Love not your life unto death. The fearful and the cowardly will not inherit the kingdom of God. That does exist. But this whole idea of safe and fun for the whole family, I'm all in on fun. God help us, let's be safe. I'm all in on that too. But that is not the cornerstone of what we build churches on. These are not the, mess- the church's messages. The kingdom of God unto him. This is what brings transformation. This, just so you know, this is what you signed up for. This is the revolution. This is the transformation power that drew you to Jesus in the first place. 
Not Ferraris on a stage with fish tanks and cotton candy and bells and whistles. I, I want a Ferrari on the stage, you know? I'll come bungee jumping down one day. I mean, I will. I mean, I'll come into a Kanye song. And then I'm going to go, kingdom! That's what I'm going to do. I don't have a problem with production value. The problem isn't the production value. The problem is the substance behind the production value. There's no substance behind the production value. And what it is is it's a mask. It's a mask for the emptiness within the message. <gasps> Paul told the Corinthian church, you listen to eloquent speakers that cannot manifest power. That's right. Read it. Second Corinthians is a rebuke upon a spirit-filled church that gave up its power and gave up its identity because they listened to eloquence. Yeah, they say, I'm a bad speaker, Paul says, but I didn't come to you with eloquent words. I came to you with the demonstration and power. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, if they cannot manifest power, why are you listening to them? We, get, we do classes here. We got a class tonight, Deliver, Deliverance and Destiny. There are people, Christians that come from all these other churches. And they go to churches without power. And anyone come here Sunday? I don't care. That's all cool. But I come to our classes and I'm like, why do you come to a class on power and you don't go to a church with that, that, you go to a church that has no power? You, you go to a church that manifests nothing. Nothing. Shirley's not here. Woman's just healed of cancer. Off 29 pills. Oomphs. Right? Charmaine was supposed to have her entire guts pulled out of her. No, no, uh Didn't happen. Healed. Tumors. Healed. Healed. Over and over. Rheumatoid arthritis. Healed. Not once, not twice, not three times a lady, but four or five times we've seen rheumatoid arthritis healed. Healed. Right? We manifest power. Just a thought. You know, people that want to go to the, to the, that's your church, that's cool, that's it, but, don't, but why are you coming to a class on power? This is my question. Like you're coming to a prophetic school and you go to a church that doesn't even believe in the prophetic. I'm like, why are you here? You, you, why are you coming here to this when you go to a church that doesn't believe in the prophetic word of God? Why do you come to a church class on deliverance when you go to a church that doesn't believe in deliverance? Why do you come to a class on healing when you go to a church that doesn't believe in healing? Have you ever thought about that? I ask him every time. I don't ask it on Sundays. Y'all are welcome. Hey, happy day. Sunday's meat and potatoes, man. But the classes are where we dig down into it. And it's like, why are you there? Why do you go to a church that's cessationist, that doesn't believe in miracles, and yet you come to a school that teaches you miracles? Oh, we'll teach you miracles. Oh, we'll teach you the prophetic. The question isn't whether what we'll do. The question is, is what are you doing? Why are you there? We know why we're here. Why are you here? It's another story. <laughs> he said, it's all about me. He started to drift. How did I get here? Change is going to happen. There are three things. Well, I'm going to give you a few of them. But change happens when you become, say it with me. Change happens when I become hopeful enough to change. When I, be, when I hurt enough to change. Right. And when I'm hungry enough to change. If you're not hopeful to change, you're not changing. If you're not hungry enough to change, you're not changing. And if you're not hurting enough to change, you're not changing. Until you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, nobody's changing. Until you're hungry for something beyond the pig slop, that's what happened to this boy. He got tired of eating in a low standard. 
He got tired of feeding himself in a low way. And change happened when he got tired and he got hungry enough. Until you see hope, he even said, I hope my father will take me in. I may not be restored as a son, but I know my father will take me in. Hope, hunger, right? Hurting, all three of them are there. He's hurting, he hates where he's at, he's hungry, he doesn't want that, and he's hopeful. Until you come to that place, you're not changing. You won't. Jesus changed me. You're not hungry enough. You're not hungry enough to do what you don't want to do. If you keep doing what, you're going, what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always had. You've got to change. Change happens, say it with me, when I get fed up. That's right. The Bible says he wasted everything. He had nothing left. He got desperate and hungry, and he finally came to his senses. Luke 15. Jeremiah 29, 13 from the message says this. You will find me when you get serious about finding me. And you want it more than anything else. You will search for me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart, is another translation. Where are you, Lord? You're not searching long enough. It's from your heart, Christian. It's not in your circumstances. Most people want his hand. They don't want his face. You want his hand to move. Jesus is the ultimate. I tell people this all the time. He's the ultimate first responder. You need his hand. His hand's there. But you're going to live a life always like that in first response, first response, first response. You're going to blow your life up. Jesus is going to put it back together. You're going to blow your life up. Jesus is going to put it back together. And what you're going to lose is years, years. You blow it up. Jesus puts you back together Two-year recovery plan. Off you go again. Another year, you blow your life up. Boom, two-year recovery plan. And before you know it, you got five years wasted. And the older you get, we all know we don't have five years. Five years becomes a lot. When you're 20, five years is a long time. Once you cross that certain thresholds in your life, five years is a long time. It's not that long a time. And you start, you're like, I don't have five years to waste. You have to desire the Lord. You have to be hopeful enough to change, hurting enough to change, or hungry enough to change. This is the story of my life. Do you need me now? I was drilled, properly drilled. Hi. Drilled. Done. I was a drilled Christian. Stand up straight. Get your heels together. Salute. Parade march. Dun, dun, dun. I was drilled. I thought I had it all figured out. I got this Christian thing. I got it down. Then I get married. Oh, I don't know anything, right? Then I have kids. I don't know anything. Then life happens. I don't know anything. And the whole story was the Lord trying to get to me and say, do you need me now, Kevin? No, 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 Lord. I got this. No, no, no. I got this. Do you need me now, Kevin? No, 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 no. No, no. I got this. Now I'm down. Now I'm limping. Do you need me now? No, 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 I got this, right? Now I'm down on my knees. Do you need me now? No, 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 I got this. Now I'm down like this, and I'm almost to the floor. Do you need me now? No, 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 I got this. Then I'm pressed to the floor. Do you need me now? <gasps> I still got breath. <gasps> no, <gasps> okay, I need you. Until you realize that you are insufficient without him, nothing's changing. It's every moment of every hour of every day. I came, when I became a Christian, one of the things I went to and I talked to a, um, one of my mentor pastors at the time, he was an old guy, nobody wanted to talk to him. He was the founding pastor of the church. He was in his 70s and everybody wanted the young rock star. They didn't want the old pastor. And I would always go up to the old pastor because no one was talking to him. And some of the greatest wisdom yeah, I gleaned was from that guy, right? I gleaned wisdom from that guy. And I used to complain to him and I'd tell him, I just feel like I'm dependent all the time. I'm always needy on Jesus. I can't do for myself. And he left. He said, that's exactly where the Lord wants you. 
He wants you there. He wants you to need him. Not because he needs to do, not so that you're like an invalid in your diaper, right, with a pacifier in your mouth. That's not where he wants you. But he wants you in this place of dependency, codependency, so that he can instruct you. That's the idea. God can only instruct you in relationship. He heals you and then he instructs you. But what happens is, is most of us get healed and we go right off our own way. We think that Jesus is, again, we think he's a paramedic. He's God. Yeah, he's the Red Cross. He's not just, he's not the Red Cross, he's God. And he's King. And he's Lord, who is Adonai. Right? When you, get, when you become a Christian, I know it's going to shock some of you, but when you come become a Christian, the Bible says your life is no longer yours. Where's that message in 21st century America? Your life is no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. Jesus frees you. You can live your life. It's the concept of the doulos. The doulos was the bondservant that was set free. So Christ frees you and sets you free. But the other side of the doulos was when the doulos returned and said, I will serve you forever. And he was put, some of y'all want to know where gauges come from. Gauges are in the Bible. You ever see gauges, right? Someone's like, I knew it. I knew it was spiritual. They would take an awl and drive an awl through their ear and they would put a gauge in his ear. And the gauge in the ear meant they were, an, they were a bondservant for life. They had willingly submitted themselves as bondservants. God sets you free, but your life comes when you willingly give yourself unto him and you willingly live your life from him. Jesus is your filter. He's the filter of your money. He's the filter of your sex. He's the filter of your marriage. Again, let me free you. Not, everybody say it with me, not church culture. Not church culture. Kingdom culture, Kingdom. right? Church culture, <gasps> you can't breathe. It's stifling. <gasps> you can't breathe. I don't know if any of y'all are here. I've been around church culture for a long time. Anybody here? Is anybody here? You guys are looking at me like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> and God's kingdom is light. There's life. God's salt, say it with me. Jesus salts the oats. Right. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink unless you salt the oats. Put some salt in those oats. That horse will drink. Jesus salts the earth. Oats. Psalm 106, Israel was wandering. Israel was like, give us what we want. Give us what we want. You don't love me. Give me what I want. Sound familiar? Psalm 106, 15, he gave them their requests, but he sent leanness into their soul. He gave them what they wanted, but their soul would forever be lean. Their mind, their will, their emotions would always be lean. Because they wanted something apart from him. You are made by him. He's created you to love him. Could it be that the leanness of your soul, you can have a million dollars and you can be lean. You can have all the success in the world and be lean. And you see it, the emptiness. We call it emptiness. It's actually leanness in the soul. And they start filling it with drugs and start filling it with alcohol and start filling it with more possessions and more women and more men and everything. And then you watch that pattern happen. Watch these stars. Look at them. 20, 30 years into their success, it's collapse. It's like they, they're shot out. They're addicts. They're drooling. Oh, they don't even make sense anymore. They're on their sixth husband because there's leanness in their soul. They have all of the things that they want, but that emptiness is still there. You need the Lord, Christian. You need him, right? So the first way that you're going to change and the way you come back to God is you get fed up and you realize there's life in no other. One of my favorite stories, Jesus said to Peter, are you going to leave? He's like, where are we going to go? 
Where am I going to go? When you speak, God help us. He said, when you speak, Lord, I come alive. I come alive. A word from you, and I live. A moment with you, and I live. Disciples on a mass road, did not our hearts burn within us? When we were with him, we were on fire. When we were in his presence, we burned like flames. Doesn't sound like constraining behavior to me. Jesus' desire is to set you on fire. Jesus' desire is to bring life in every way, not constrain you, to release you, to shape you, mold you, create you, and set you going and down and just unleash you on the world. That's his goal. You'll change not only when you, when you get fed up, you'll change it, say it with me, when I own up. Right? I practice, this, I practice this sentence in my marriage all the time. I recommend it. I recommend this next sentence. I was wrong. Okay, that's a really, I'll give you two sentences, three words, six words, guys. They're going to help you. They're going to go a long way. You're going to go a long way, right? Here's the first one. I am sorry. That's number one, right? Second word, we, just three sentence words because we're guys. We got to just do it in short bites. I was wrong. It's going to help. It's going to help. All the women said? Yes, exactly. Ladies, when I help you, help me help you, okay? The men, if I tell the men, the men are like, I'm not saying nothing, man. She's sitting right next to me. But the women, you know, you, you should be vocal. You've got nothing to lose, you know. Just throw it out there. That's just that's right. You listen to this? I was wrong. As my wife would say, I didn't say you were wrong. I just said I was blaming you. That's all that she said, so. No, she would, she would hate. She, she's not here, so I can, you know. She's probably watching me. Yes, dear. Whatever you say, I'm wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. So when he, when he came to himself, he, he came to himself, he said, I'm wrong. Psalm 139 says this, your eyes have seen my substance being unformed. And in your book, uh, in your book everything was written. You, they knew, the days were fashioned before me, yet that, that before any of them were there. This guy was living beneath his, his, his position. He was living beneath his purpose. You were formed with a substance. God has made you unique. There's no one like you. There's never been anyone like you. The only one who really knows you is Jesus. The only one who really celebrates you at the core of you, not your dysfunction, not who you are because of your brokenness, not who you are because of your dysfunction, not who you are because of your idolatry and the world's conformity upon you. That's not what he's celebrating. He's celebrating the inward person that he made you. He created you. God knows what you are. You were created with a purpose. You're created on purpose with a purpose, and you are formed by him. And God has a destiny for you. This idea of like this guy's living a life that's self-centered. He says, I'm wrong. So the word question is two words. Quest, ion. Quest means to search. Ion means a particle. So a question is the particle of a search. And so we have to ask questions. Jesus is all about questions. We need to know who he is, we need to know who we are to him, and we need to know what our purpose is. This is what brings harmony in your life. This is what makes you come alive. I can guarantee you what God wants for you is greater than what you think. I can guarantee it. You think you wanted that, he wants this. It's the same thing when he told Thomas, your vision's too small, Thomas. Thomas was disappointed because Jesus didn't establish the kingdom. Thomas wanted Jesus to establish the kingdom. 
And he said, unless I put my hands in his fingers, my fingers in his side and I see the holes, the nail holes, I will not believe. And Jesus said, touch right here, Thomas, and touch right here. Your vision was too small. Thomas wasn't a doubter. Thomas gets a bad rap. Doubting Thomas. Thomas wasn't a doubter. Read about him. Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and Thomas is the one that rises and says, let us go with him that we may die with him. Because in Thomas's mindset, if I die with him, I reign with him. <laughs> he was like, it's on. And then when he saw Jesus die, with him died his vision. With Jesus died Thomas's personal perspective. Your vision is too small. Some of you, you need to die to your vision in order that God's vision may live. You need to die to your ideals in order that his ideals may live. Just a thought. You're as close to Jesus as you want to be. God's created you with a purpose. You were created to discover, develop, and deploy who and what you are. Sons and daughters, you are not common. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the agents of change. You are a chosen generation. You are chosen in your generation. This is what you are. This is what you are. It's true. Come on. Our job is to discover this. Our job is to understand this. Our job is to live through this lens. You're a world changer. Say it with me. I'm a world changer. I may not look like much, but looks can be deceiving. <laughs> Say this. I live by truth. I do not live by reality. Truth says I'm chosen in my generation. Regardless of what my reality says, truth says I'm chosen in my generation. Try it. Doesn't matter what your reality says. We train the Christian to live by reality. The Bible never tells you to live by reality. It tells you to live by truth. You pursue truth until truth becomes your reality. Truth will transform your reality if you pursue what is true. Live as a daughter. Live as a son. Pursue that truth and watch your reality change. Take the next 12 months and see yourself as no other way as a son or a daughter of the highest. My father's a king and I'm an heir of this world and the one to come. Pursue that. See yourself that way. Watch your lifestyle change. Watch your choices change. Watch everything around you change because that truth will shift your reality. Watch. Watch. It'll happen. See yourself as favored. See yourself as blessed. I'm favored. Begin to pursue the identity that you have in Christ and begin to see yourself no other way. Most of you make deficient choices because you see yourself deficiently. You don't see yourself in him. Listen, Jesus doesn't have confidence in you. Let me just be clear. He has confidence in his spirit that is within you. His confidence isn't in you. So just have a Cinnabon, go get yourself a cookie and a cake, piece of cake over there, and relax. Jesus doesn't have confidence in you. His confidence is in his spirit. And that takes all the pressure off because it's not me. It's just whatever you want to do, Holy Spirit. That's what I do. Whatever you say is what I do. Whatever, whatever direction you lead me in, that's how it works. It's our responsibility. We have to own up, right? We have to own up. The boy owned up. Adam, where are you? You got to own up. You are where you are because of your choices. You say, let's just say that together. It's therapy here. I am where I am because of my choices. That's right. You can't control everything, but you can control you. You can't control what happens to you. You can, happen, you can control what happens through you. You can choose the reaction that you have to each thing that happens to you. You can get bitter, you can get better, right? All the little quips, we can turn lemons into lemonade, can't we? Come on. You can allow yourself to sink in a pit or you can rise above it. 
You can allow yourself to be stopped by the circumstance or you can learn from it and move on. It's our responsibility. We have to own up to where we are. We cannot blame other people. The Lord asked Adam, where are you? Did Jesus not know where Adam was? Jesus knew exactly where Adam was. Jesus wanted to know, Adam, do you know where you are? Jesus knew exactly where he was. His question was, Adam, do you know where you are? Do you have any idea where you are? Most people don't. You have no idea where you are, right? He asked the disciples that were following him. Seems like a good thing. Follow Jesus. Do you know what he asked them? Same thing he's going to ask you today. What do you want? <gasps> I don't know. What do you seek? What is it that you are seeking from the Lord? What do you seek? Well, I just want to get saved and make it to heaven. That's already done. Woman sitting at the well. If you're in Christ, that's already done. Woman at the well, if you knew who I was, you'd ask. If you knew the gift of God that was sitting in front of you, you would ask. Do you know the gift of God that's sitting in front of you? Do you know where you are? Do you know what God you serve? Do you know his love for you? Do you know who you are to him? Do you know he gives nations for your ransom? Do you know that? Do you know the endowment of the kingdom belongs to you? Do you know that there's no one with more spiritual authority than you? You just don't know it. You just don't know it. Do you know that even creation itself will subjugate itself to the sons and daughters of God? Atmospheres itself will shift to the sons and daughters of God. This is how weak the church's faith has become. We've become rational. The kingdom was never rational. The kingdom is always spiritual. And yet we celebrate our rationalism and we affect nothing. Zero. We're good for nothing. We're cast out into the street. We're trampled underfoot. No generation in history has been trampled underfoot quite like this one. The church is powerless and anemic, voiceless echo chambers of the culture. We're not an echo chamber of the culture. We're sons and daughters of a king. We roar like lions. We burn like fire. We light up the night. We are not cowards. We are fearless. Rise up, Christian. Stop diminishing who the scripture says you are. Rise, say it with me, rise. Say this with me. The year of transition. This year, I am going to begin to rise to the level of my birth. I do not know who this message is for, but none of this was in my notes. But nonetheless, you are going to rise to the level of your birth. This is your quest. You want to transist? Rise to the level of your birth. Step one, see yourself as nothing short of a son of the highest. Say it every single day. I'm a son of the highest. I'm an heir of this world and the one to come. And you may say, I have no idea what that means. That's okay. You, don't, you can say it and agree with it without fully understanding it. Do you know that? You can get born again without actually understanding it. You know that? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Well, I don't understand this, but my heart says this is true, so I guess I'm going to go with it. And you get saved. It has nothing to do with rational. We think salvation's rational. We've got to convince somebody into the kingdom. We don't have to convince anybody into the kingdom. The Bible says believe in their heart. There's nothing rational about that. Your heart, most people, when you get saved, your heart's saying one thing, your head's saying another. You're like, wait a second. This guy comes down. This is God became man, born of a virgin. This doesn't make any sense. He died. He came out of a tomb, talked to a bunch of people, rose up into heaven. And if I believe that, I can get saved. Oh, come on. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. To the rational mind, it is foolishness. Because he doesn't, Jesus isn't speaking to the rational mind. The spirit is to rule the Christian. The soul is in submission to the spirit. That's how you were originally designed. Spirit, soul, and body in that order. And what we are, most people without Christ, their body, 
soul and the spirit's virtually non-existent, dead, if you will, or soul, all about feelings, body, all about appetites, and the spirit's non-existent. That's, that, that's the inversion of your design. You were not created that way. You created spirit, and your soul, your mind, will, and emotion serves the spirit. Your body serves the spirit. The spirit is to be the ruling chamber of the, of the human, and that spirit is to be in communion, in concert, in relationship with the Lord. That's how we're designed. This is why we have a lack of harmony. Again, the church creates its own disharmony because we make everything rational. We play head games. It's not about head games. It's about spirit. Jesus is looking for worshipers how? How's the Father looking for worshipers? Oh, spirit and truth. Really? I thought he was looking for them theologically correct, right? Spirit and truth. That's what he's looking for. Communion with the Lord, right? So, Adam, where are you? Disciples, what, what do you seek? Do you know where you are, Christian? Do you know who you are? And do you know where you are? Do you know who you are? And do you know what you want? Do you? I was just talking to a person recently, and they're telling me what they want, and their head's down, and they're talking like this. And I said, no, I, I just, she's Christian. I said, okay, don't talk like that. I go, I want you to look at me, and I want you to tell me what you want. What does your heart want? First word. It's going to be bigger than you. It's going to be more powerful than you. And then she starts telling me what she wants. And then she got afraid because she's telling me what she really wants. And she starts diminishing herself. And I said, what you want is in your heart because God put it there. It's going to be bigger than you. The church teaches this diminishment. Well, especially on women. Let's just get quiet here for a minute. Especially the greatest emancipator, ladies, the world has ever seen is Jesus. He set the women free. All through the scripture, women flocked to him. The disciples couldn't understand while he was talking to women. Like he's talking to a woman. Right? She's a Samaritan and she's a woman. Right? Jesus doesn't have any issues. He said, that's your role. That's not mine. Those rules were not laid down by him. He never laid them down. He walked right in the face of it and they were offended. You're not doing it our way, Jesus. Just a thought. That's for another day. When he came to his senses, he said, I've sinned against God and against you. He came to his senses. He acknowledged what he was wrong. He owned up. Isaiah 59, 2, your sins have separated you from me and have hidden my face from you. So let's say it with me. Two types of sin. Haramatia. Haramatano. Two types of sin. Haramatia is the sin of offense. This is the sin of condemnation. You understand that? When you come to Christ, haramatia is gone. But you still sin, don't you? Haramatano, you still sin. There any Christians here that still sin? Right, right? All right, let me ask your wife. Is there any Christians here that still sin? Right, okay, let's ask your kids, right? But those sins are not sins of condemnation. Those are sins of, they're not sins of separation. Those sins do not cost you eternally. Those sins cost you in destiny. They misalign you. It means you're off the mark, right? So we have the hieromatia, which is the offense, which means to push away, create separation. The haramatano means off course. You're off course, right? So we have the one sin that brings separation. Are we, are we understanding what I'm trying to say here, right? When you come to Christ, that offense, you no longer are an offense to the Lord. The offense is created because man says he's his own God. I don't need God. I'm my own God. Who are you? You don't tell me anything. I separated. Adam wanted to be God. Long story. But that created the separation. When you come to Christ, you say, Jesus is Lord. I am not. 
That's the essence of salvation, by the way. Jesus isn't your friend. He's your Lord. He's your Adonai. We serve him as Lord. We serve him as God. We serve him as king. And through that relationship, the intimacy is built, right? And then we learn who he truly is, and we learn who we truly are, and we understand. But we come to Christ, and we confess him as Lord, and the separation is removed. There's no longer any separation. Haramatia is gone. But you're still over here, dysfunctional you, doing all the crazy things you used to do, right? You're saved, but you're not functioning correctly. There's still sins. What those sins are doing for you are not condemning you. Now the devil will condemn you. They're separating you from what? Your destiny. You have a purpose and a destiny. But there's issues within your own heart. There's incongruencies within your life. Ignorance and arrogance, issues, brokenness, woundedness, all kinds of things that relate to sin. In case you didn't know, sin has train wrecked us all, right? We think that when we come to Jesus, everything's fixed. Who told you that? I've been doing this for a long time, and that is not completely not the case. That's not what we, at all. That's not what we show on Sunday morning. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is where all the shot-out train wreck exists. It's true. Come on. And the church needs to know this. You're broken. It's okay. It's all right. You're broken. Welcome to the party. Can we all be broken and get fixed together? Can we go on a journey? Being broken, being, being willing to understand that you're broken is one thing. Staying in your brokenness, now that's another story entirely, Right? We don't even give people the opportunity to get out of their brokenness because we expect them to be perfect. We live our lives by moral constraints, everything external, everything external. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do, right? So everything's an external. It's broken. It's broken. We're, you're broken. It doesn't mean you have to stay broken. You work on your brokenness. But the first, the first key to broken, to getting healed from brokenness, right, is understanding that you're broken. That's 50% of the fight is actually dealing and coming to the place that you're broken. I had a pastor one time tell me I haven't sinned in six years. I asked him to repeat it because I knew this was probably 15 years ago. I knew I would be repeating this for the rest of my life. I'm sorry. I was like, I'm sorry. Could you say that again? He said, don't you play the sin card with me, pastor. I haven't sinned in six years. My good Lord almighty. I just sinned six minutes ago. I yelled at my wife, I don't know, I don't told the dog, I threw the dog outside because it peed on the floor. I mean, I don't know, is that a sin? I'm not sure. You're broken. But say it with me, I'm broken. Oh, come on, I'm broken. But I am forever loved. And I'm forever accepted. My brokenness does not disqualify the Lord's love for me. My brokenness does not disqualify the Lord's acceptance of me. Nothing disqualifies his love and acceptance. Nothing. You can't screw it up if you tried. The only thing you're screwing up is you. You're not screwing him up. You just keep screwing you up. Your love and acceptance is forever there. You're going to see it. This is the last thing. Is he lifted up? You want to turn to the Lord? You have to let him lift you up. You have to get fed up. You have to own up. You have to offer up. Offer up your life. You have to return to Jesus. So he owned up and he said, Lord, I'm doing it my way. I offer you my life. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present yourselves. Excuse me. Living sacrifice, too much coffee. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're really amped, Kevin. You can see nothing. Uh, so offer up. So we offer ourselves unto the Lord. So we, get, we own up and we offer up. 
And then lastly, say it with me. I have to let the Lord lift me up. Love and acceptance is guaranteed. What can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. Love is to seek the highest good. Nothing separates you from God forever seeking your highest good. The Bible says when you come to Christ, you are accepted in the beloved. But you don't know my life. You don't know his life. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what he's done. It has nothing to do with you. Again, if you align your purpose as a, as a son or a daughter, you will watch all of your choices will change. Because your self-perception is that of a loser, is that of an outcast, of that of someone in guilt and shame, or you view yourself as someone who must function religiously, you cannot align with his true purpose. You're making choices out of that deficiency. You have to, to make choices out of the sufficiency. Jesus loves me on my worst day. I had some old lady cut me off one time in a parking lot. She literally gave me the finger. I was like, what? It's like, Grandma, what in the world? Part of me wanted to revolt. And I started thinking, she doesn't love me. And I was telling myself, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. The cat doesn't love you all the time. The dog doesn't love you all the time. Your wife, your kids, your husband isn't gonna, aren't going to love you all the time. You're not going to be the rock star at work all the time, but Jesus will always love you. He will always be after your highest good. You have to let him pick you up. The Bible says in Luke 15 that the Lord ran. He ran to him. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. And he said, everybody say it with me, bring the best. He didn't say bring the worst. Bring out that shout-out sandal. You're going to wear those shout-out sandals for a while. That hole with ro that robe with holes in it, yeah. You're going, to, you're going to do a couple walks of shame around here, you know. You're going, to, you're going to do a little penance for what you've done. He ran to him in celebration. Say it with me. The father, the father came to him came to in celebration, celebration and not in condemnation. You get it? The love of Christ compels us. Why? I don't, why, do I, why, do you, why do I do what I do? Why do I live as I live? Why do I choose as I choose? Because he loves me like this. Right. Nobody's like him. Every single opportunity I have to be in the living presence of my father, I'm there. I'm there. There are things in your life that are not worthy of first place, but Jesus is. Some of you, you want to make a transition. You need to, you need to get yourself a C-plus average this year in your church attendance. You know what a C is? What percentage is a C, school teachers? 70. If you, have, if you can't come to church seven out of 10 times, you don't even have a C. <gasps> you're commanded. Why do you need to come to church? Because you're encouraged. Because you, God instructs you and shows you what you really are. Because hope is given to you. Most Christians can't even come to church 50% of the time. What's a 50% grade? Anybody know? What's the grade? Come on, say it. Come on. F, you're not even passing. And you wonder why your life isn't changed? Because you can't show up two Sundays a month. You can't show up three Sundays a month. You've got something better to do. You got somebody, you, you send a message with your life. It's a testimony of your existence. It says sailing is more important than Jesus. It says soccer is more important than Jesus. It says sleeping is more important than Jesus. Three out of four times. You can't get a C, can't get a B, just a thought. You want to transist? There's another one. 
I am going to be in church. I don't care what it compromises in my schedule. I don't care what sacrifices I have to make. Three, I'm 75% of the time I'm going to be in church. I refuse to be average. I refuse to fail at this. I refuse to constantly spin in a death spiral, which your life will continually spin in a death spiral. This is part of the mandate upon the life of the believer, commit and connect to church. It's the minimum standard of discipleship, and you wonder why there's dysfunction. You wonder, where are you, God? He's like, where are you? I didn't even know you were in my class. You were here, what, three times last year? Check the rules. Didn't, did they drop out? I wasn't even sure they dropped out. You need to approach your life and look at it in that manner. You need to change the way that you think. You need to change the way your process is. If that's how you see it, you're seeing it wrong. And you cannot transform until you shift your perspectives your perspectives of yourself, your perspectives of who Jesus is. I'm going to take 12 years out of 12 months out of my life, and I am going to do this. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care who's offended. I don't care what it is. This is the goal. And some of you need to paste a calendar on your refrigerator, and you need a circle three Sundays a month when you're going to be there just so you can be average, right? 75% of the time just so you can hit an average. You need to do it. Oh, I don't know about that. Okay, then stay the same. Then don't expect transition. Stay as you are. Bible says you're double-minded in all your ways. And when you're double-minded, when God says this and you say that, that's what constitutes double-minded. The Lord says, do not forsake the assemblies of yourselves together, which is the manner of some. Do not do it. Emphatic imperative. It's a command. And you say, ah, I don't need to go. I'll go when I feel like it. I'll go when I need. You're, you, Jesus says this. You say this. You're double-minded, unstable in all your ways. And the Bible says this. Let that person expect to receive nothing from the Lord. Nothing. So I tell people, you, get, you, you are completely free. You are free to do it your way. And, you don't, and all you got to do is adjust your expectations. Jesus isn't condemning you, but you need to adjust your expectations because the Bible says, so long as you keep doing it your way, you shouldn't expect to receive much from the Lord. I didn't say he wouldn't rescue you. I didn't say he wouldn't be there for you. But you're expecting something, and you're not meeting the standard. You're expecting to graduate with honors, and you can't even get a C grade. You can't even get a D grade. Just a thought. Just a thought. My name's Pastor Kevin, and I'm your friend. <laughs> Come on, let's rise up. Let's be what we are. Don't you want to be what you are? Don't you, want, don't you want a little taste of the glory? See what it tastes like, don't you? Where's that from? Anybody know? Oh, I don't watch movies, Pastor. I can't tell. So we tell Shelly, what's that from? That's right. She knows. Exactly. All right. I'll be back. Oh, what's that from? I don't know. I never watch movies. My movies are always about Jesus and fairy tales. And <laughs> Amen. Let me bless you. We'll have a prayer team available for you over there. I had more, but I have some another place, but that was for you guys. So let me just bless you. Say it with me, Jesus loves me. He wants nothing from me. He wants everything for me. I choose this year to rise to the level of my birth. Holy Spirit, challenge me. I give myself permission to challenge myself on my thinking, on my habits, and on my priorities. Every place that I displace Jesus 
in my life, whether in my time, my talent, or my treasures, I repent and I renounce those covenants and I break free and I repent of that selfish altar that I have bowed to. May it not speak against me any further. This year, I go free. I partner with the willful transitions the Lord desires to bring to my life and I will rise to the level of my birth if it kills me. I don't care who's offended. I don't care what it costs me. I will make no offering to the Lord that costs me nothing. This is my statement of record. Come on, get it out there. If you don't want to say it, that's okay. This is my statement of record before the court of heaven. And I renounce all other statements to the contrary. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And may the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.